Good morning, Tri-Village. It is good to be with you, Tri-Village family online tuning in as we stream this service live. Welcome. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to like and share this as you watch this, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook. And why am I asking you to do that? So that you might share uh, the Word of God with those who follow you. I mean, God has given us this incredible gift called technology to be able to share with others the wonderful news of Jesus. And so just like and share this, not because I'm a good preacher, but because we serve a great God. Everybody said, Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We will be looking in verse 26. Now, while you turn there, I have just a statement that I want to make, and if you agree with it, you can say amen, which basically means, isn't that right? Life is complicated. Yes, it is. Now, I was thinking about this whole idea that life is complicated, and I thought about just a couple of examples. One, life is complicated because women make it complicated. Yeah. Now, my wife, there's, there's so many stories that I could tell you about my wife, whom I love dearly, by the way. But there's just one particular instance that just keeps popping up in our marriage. And I'm like, why do you just make things so complicated? But we're, we're driving, and most of the time she wants me to drive. Uh, it's only when I'm like, please, babe, i got to send some emails that she will drive. And as I'm driving, the entire time my wife is monitoring my driving skills. You need to turn there. Well, no, no, I, I, I can go up a little bit more. You're going too fast. Like through the I-pass lane, she's like, it says 15 miles an hour. I'm like, well, no one else goes 15 miles an hour. 40 seems just fine. And so and then there's, there, then there's this, this moment where you pull into the parking lot. And I, I mean, I know I irritate my wife. She's like, are you going to park today or tomorrow? Well, I, here's what I'm factoring in. I'm factoring in if, if our kids are with us because I, I want to park far away from a, another vehicle so that they don't just throw open the door and dent it and I have to leave a note. Uh, you know, so, but, but the whole entire time I'm thinking, why do you have to make driving so complicated? I think about juggling. Now, I could have I brought like, you know, kind of uh, three like oranges or something, and I could have juggled for you this morning because I can juggle three objects. But if you add a fourth object in there, I'm really not really that good when it comes to juggling four or more objects. And I want you to think about it. As human beings, we got to juggle so much in life, do we not? We got to juggle our marriage. We got to juggle relationships. We got to juggle parenting responsibilities. We got to juggle our job, vocation, our school. Uh, We've got to juggle our scheduling, uh, maybe health issues. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had like a health issue or something, maybe an ache or a pain, and you go on WebMD and and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I need to go to the emergency room after reading WebMD. Maybe feeling and emotions you've got to juggle, or even the future. I mean, think about it this way. I think we're really longing for 2021. I don't know how well, you know, January 1st, 2021 will be different compared to, you know, December 31st, 2020, but we're looking for the future and we're trying to juggle all of the things in our mind, what 2021 will hold. Now, if you think about how much we juggle as human beings, think about the feelings that come along with juggling all of these things. 
how many times human beings just get to the point of we're just trying to survive. We're not, we're not even trying to thrive anymore. We're just, we're just trying not to lose as many balls as possible, right? Or what about frustration, dissatisfaction, worry, anxiousness, depression, discouragement, restlessness, weary. And then if you think about all of the things that you try to juggle, it's just chaotic. You're trying to keep everything straight. Now, I don't know if that describes you. I don't know if that describes you sitting online uh, this morning. But here's what I would dare say. I think it describes our world in 2020. Now, let me read this article that I came across. Uh, it's an AP article, Associated Press article. And it's entitled, In 2020, AP Photographers Captured a World in Distress. So as I read just a portion of this article, I'm just going to have some pictures that are attached to that article scrolling. Here's what this author says. Behold a world in distress. A 64-year-old woman weeps, hugging her husband as he lay dying in the COVID-19 unit of a California hospital. A crowded refugee camp in Lesbos, Greece, engulfed in flames, degorges a string of migrants fleeing this hell on earth. Rain-swept protesters enraged by the death of George Floyd in police custody rail against the system and the heavens. This is the world that Associated Press photographers captured in 2020. A world beset by every sort of catastrophe, natural and unnatural disaster. And in every corner of the world, the coronavirus. Amid the pandemic, it was sometimes easy to overlook the world's other turmoil and its tragedies. A loving uncle carries his 11-year-old niece away from the devastation of a massive explosion in Beirut. Wildfires gave the American West an eerie glow, a volcano eruption clouded the skies over Manila. And perhaps the most appropriate image of 2020, it was captured during the waves of protest and riots in the aftermath of George Floyd. A protester strides past a burning building in Minneapolis. In his hands, he holds the American flag. The flag is upside down. The international signal of distress. See, our world is in chaos. Our world is in distress. Now, sure, there are some flickers of what I would call flickers of good in our world, but our world is this dark and chaotic and restless place. And what's happening outside in our world is reflected in the chambers of our hearts. Our world's complicated. Life is complicated. My wife has a little sign that she's put in my office, and it basically says life is hard. And she will many times remind me, she's like, hashtag life's hard. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, babe. So here's the main point that we're going to flesh out this morning. You ready? Say you're ready. God can simplify our complicated life. God can simplify our complicated life. Or you can think about it this way, how God brings peace, since we're talking about peace, how God brings peace to troubled souls. Now we're going to look at this in the life of Mary when the angel appears to her and gives her this wonderful news that she will bear a child. And so will you go ahead and stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word Luke 1, verse 26 through 38. 
In the sixth month, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, not his sight. I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? That you would think that an angel showed up to you, you'd be greatly troubled at the angel. But she ain't troubled at the angel, but what, what the angel said. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name, everybody? Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm just a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Can you believe it? And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Father, will you... Uh, be glorified in this place among these people. Uh, Spirit, will you work not only here, but in the lives of those who are listening this morning who will listen. And may you do a work where you bring transformation to our lives that you would draw people far from you, that you might simplify our complicated lives. And it's in your name we pray. All God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Now, we read this story as uh, believers in the 21st century, and we have this kind of uh, thinking where we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing for Mary. I mean, Mary's like 12, 15 years of age. Uh, She's a Jew. She's poor. She's in Nazareth, which is kind of like Mumford, Tennessee. You're like, I never heard of Mumford. Well, yeah. I mean, it was like this podunk town in Nazareth where rednecks lived. Well, so you have this 12 to 15-year-old little girl, and she has this incredible news, and that's the way we would interpret it. And yes, it's great news that she's going to have Jesus, the Son of God. Life's going to be glorious, right, Mary? No. No, while we read it and it would be good news, this news to her, while it is good, was going to mark her life in such a complicated fashion. Because no one would believe her that she was a virgin who got married, who had a baby, right? Like even Joseph, we read in Matthew, like Joseph wanted to leave her. Because he's like, there's no way. There's no way you didn't cheat on me, woman. I mean, he, he's not believing it. But now an angel came to him and said, hey, believe it. This is of God. But, but the people would not believe it. This is scandalous. She would be an outcast during her pregnancy, after her pregnancy. It would be a scandalous family. And so this 12 and 15-year-old girl 
where her life was simple there in Nazareth. She was betrothed. She's engaged to a, a good, righteous man. And she's picturing life forever after there in Nazareth in their simple life. But God sends an angel and complicates her life. But what we see in this passage that we just read is how God can simplify that which is complicated. When our lives are turned upside down, we're going to see how God can turn them right side up. And we see five truths in verses 26 through 38 that allow us to have God speak into us, into our complicated lives, to simplify them. So let me go ahead and give you these truths. Truth number one, God loves you. Like if you want to simplify your complicated life, if you uh, want to bring calmness to your chaos, just know this, God loves you. We, we see this in verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Now it's interesting, highly favored, well, what does that mean? It just basically means, oh, graced one. Now, now here's, what, here's what kind of boggles my mind. It's kind of like, well, what, what was so special about Mary? I mean, she's like this 12 to 15-year-old girl from Nazareth. I mean, there's just nothing like favored about her in the sense of we would think, oh, wow, this is an amazing girl. I mean, it's not like she you know, made the, you know, the Jewish national volleyball team. It's not like she had, you know, we read that she had perfect attendance at, you know, the temple, right? I mean, we, there's nothing about it that we would go, oh my gosh, this is an amazing young girl. But yet the angel comes to her and says, oh, highly favored one, oh, graced one. So what was it about Mary that was so... Nothing. Nothing. You know, you know what that should tell us? Well, that's good news. That's good news for us. Because here's the thing. God is not looking at how wonderful you are or how great of a performer you are or if you have straight A's or if you have a lot of money in the bank or if you look all put together. God is not looking at that and going, oh, you're so favored. Oh, you're so grace. No, there's nothing special about Mary. Yet God says, oh, favored one, I'm going to show you grace. See, here's a principle that we learn. Mary was not perfect, as some faith traditions would say, but she was perfectly loved by God. So here's the thing. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Merry Christmas. However, there is a perfect God who loves us perfectly. Now, this is hard to understand in our culture, and here's why it's hard to understand this in our culture, is because we live in a performance-based culture where we perform in order to get applause. Like we perform for our parents, especially if they really applaud us when we do something good. Oh, Johnny, you're so amazing. Oh, my gosh. And our parents think that we hung the moon. And, and the, more, the more we do that is good, the more accolades and the more affirmation and the more applause 
our parents give us. And then we kind of, well, I would say we grow up, but here's the thing about social media today. Now, now we have teenagers or even preteens that have phones and that are on Snapchat and they're on Instagram. And, and here's what they want. They want to take the right selfie or the right picture so that they can get a lot of likes or a lot of love. And what happens today in our culture, even among teenagers, is that when they don't get the likes, when they don't get the hearts that they long for, they're discouraged and depressed because they feel like, well, no one sees me, no one loves me, no one cares for me. And so they try to perform and they try to perform, they try to perfect the best selfie ever. And they put, they put some color on it or they put like, cat ears. I'm like, what in the world? Or they'll put a puppy dog nose and they'll try to get likes. And you know what I'm saying? It's performance. And then we grow older and that just gets older. But yet for Mary, and this is what we learn, we don't have to post the perfect Instagram picture. We don't have to have the perfect family we don't have to be perfect or performance-driven. God loves us perfectly. Oh, graced one, highly favored, nothing special about her. So that's the thing. As we, as we walk through life and, and all of its complications, this is something that we ought to go back to over and over again. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. I'm graced by the Father. I'm graced by the Father. Let me ask you this. Here's just a question. What's your go-to anchor for when you don't feel loved? Like, what's your go-to anchor? Because there's going to be times in our life where we don't feel loved, where we don't feel light, where we don't feel appreciated. What's your go-to anchor for when you don't feel loved? See, for Mary, she could always go back to I'm highly favored. I'm highly favored. I'm highly graced. Truth number two. This is probably one of my favorites out of the five. And it's this. God is with you. So greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, at first glance, this statement seems to be very succinct and very simple. The Lord is with you. All right, let's just move on. But, but here's, here's what I was doing, though about this, this one phrase, the Lord is with you. It's a simple statement, but I, th I was thinking, okay, I was like, God, there, there's got to be more to this than you're just with us, right? Like we say, Emmanuel, God with us, but what does that mean? And so I went on this journey of, of trying to explore what does it mean for the Lord to be with you, for the Lord to be with us. The very first instance where we see the Lord with a human being, it's, it's with Adam. God, he forms him from the dust of the ground, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam becomes a living being. And he gives Adam this command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. And then he looks at Adam and says, it's not good for him to be alone because he cannot fulfill the creation mandate for which I gave him on his own. So I'm going to make him a suitable helper. I'm going to make him a woman. And so he makes Eve and brings Eve to Adam. 
Here's what one scholar says about the beginning where God is present with man. He notes that it is God's presence that life and purpose are found. So, so the, the meaning of God with us, God with humanity, embeds into this notion, this idea that in God, in his presence, when his presence is with you, that's where life and purpose are found. And then you can actually chart that throughout the annuals of Scripture. You see that with Abram. Uh, God, he comes to Abram. He's like, I will make you a great name. I will make you a great nation. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So basically what God is telling Abram is, I will be with you and I will see all of these things happen. We see that with Moses. God appears to Moses and he says this, I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you. And what, what is What is God going to do with Moses? He's going to send him back into Egypt to deliver God's people from slavery there. We see it with Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Well, What was Joshua and the Israelites going to do? Conquer the promised land. That was part of God's purpose and plan. Well, we see that with Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always. It was in the context of life and purpose. So when it comes to Mary, what God is going to do in her, he promises to be with her because it's in It's in her fulfilling the plan and purpose of God. God is going to be right there with her. So, when it comes to our lives, fulfilling the purpose of God, we have this promise that God will be with us. Now, it was going to be hard for Mary. I mean, think about it. I mean, you're a 12 to 15-year-old girl. Life has just become a little bit more complicated. People aren't going to believe you when you, said, when you say, well, here's what the angel said. The angel said that the Holy Spirit will come upon me, and I was going to have this baby. Joseph and I, we haven't known each other in that way yet. I mean, it's going to be complicated, and people are going to talk about her. People are going to ridicule her. People are going to call her names. Yet God would be with her every step of the way. Now, I have family members, they're scared of the dark. I don't know, anybody else scared of the dark? Anybody? Like, if you're scared. Like, I have family members that won't go into the dark basement. And that's the reason why during the day, they kind of leave the lights on in the basement. And so when we're getting ready for bed, I'm like, who left the lights on down in the basement? It's probably one of your children, is what my wife would say. I mean, they don't like being in a dark, creepy basement. Now, but if their dad or their mom or even their brother and sister would walk down there with them, they feel a little bit more confident, you know, being in that dark room. Now, our world... With all of the flickers of good, it is a dark world. It is scary. It is hard. It is complex. I mean, just 2020 in and of itself, I mean, we, it runs the gamut of how complex and difficult and hard and dark our world can be. But God's presence is the light and the comfort 
and the calmness in the midst of darkness. Um, here's a principle. God's presence is the pocket of peace in the midst of life's hurricanes. My wife grew up in Fort Lauderdale, and so she's actually been in many hurricanes. Do you know that they say that the calmest place in a hurricane is in the eye? Like light winds, clear skies, but all around darkness, chaos, destruction, but it's the eye. Do, do we realize like our world is looking for calmness, for life, for, for, for life, for purpose in the midst of chaos and destruction and darkness. And it's God's presence that provides that pocket of peace, that pocket of calmness, that pocket of light. And that's what God had promised to Mary. That not only are you highly favored, but I will be with you. Here's the third truth of how God can simplify our complicated life. God is doing something amazing in you, for you, and for the world. God is doing something amazing in you, for you, and for the world. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Mary's sandals. I always say sandals because I don't think they had shoes back then. But put yourself in Mary's sandals. Your, your heart's palpitating. You got sweaty palms because angels talking to you and giving, giving you this incredible news. And at that moment, Gabriel continues to say, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now you get a little bit of details. Not only are you highly favored, the Lord is with you, but here's some news. Uh, you're going to have a baby. Yay! Here's your baby. Whoa! <laughs> you know, Because we, we, we see at least six descriptions here. You shall call his name Jesus. Now Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua, in the Old Testament, Joshua means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh saves. Jesus, Yahweh saves. The Lord is salvation. So your baby has come to save you. Your baby has come to save sinners. Well, he will be great. Now, here, here's what's interesting about that word, uh, he will be great. Uh, it ba basically means mega. It's where we get our word mega. He will define greatness, basically, is what Gabriel says. He will be called son of the most high. So basically, Mary, uh, he won't be an ordinary child. He'll actually be God incarnate, son of the most high God. That's the reason why Jesus doesn't have an earthly father, because God is his heavenly father. He is 100% God and 100% man. He is the God man. And then we see that the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, I mean, this is interesting, okay? So we know that God had promised King David way back uh, when he was a king in 2 Samuel 7 that there would be a king that comes after him in his line and he will rule forever and ever. So now what Mary is getting, the details that, that Gabriel is giving her is like, hey, this is the one. He's going to sit on uh, David's throne. 
He's going to sit over the house of Jacob or the Israelites or God's people forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Yes, Mary, this is the one that has been promised. Now, again, 12, 15-year-old little girl engaged. You're overwhelmed. You are going to raise the Son of God. You are going to raise the one who's going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. Now, here's what's also interesting. What kind of kingdom will this baby bring? Well, I'm glad that you asked. We read that earlier in the service, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son, of, son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And listen to his names. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. Here's the thing I would would say. In the history of mankind, there's never been a kingdom. There's never been a government like this. But with Mary's baby that she will give birth to, he will bring that kind of kingdom. Now, here's what is so interesting when I talk about God's kingdom. It was was initiated in the garden where it was undermined by Adam and Eve. It was foreshadowed in Israel where they they fell miserably in living up to God's standard. It is inaugurated at Jesus' first coming. So his birth inaugurates, his ministry inaugurates the kingdom of God here on earth. His kingdom is reflected in the church, and then it will be consummated when he returns again. So I give you that picture just to say, where is God's kingdom now? Where is this kingdom now? It's here with you, not not, not in this building, with your presence, with God's people. That's the reason why there should be no racism here. That's the reason why we should get along in great harmony. That's the reason why we should be kind. That's the reason why we should embody the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Why? Because God's kingdom has come to reign in our lives. And see, and that's what Gabriel is telling Mary about this child. And so... But it wasn't going to be easy. It was actually going to be messy. Now, years ago, we were really into Property Brothers, which I think they were based out of Chicago, and then Fixer Upper, which is kind of my kind of people, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines from the South. And so if you've ever watched any of those kind of shows, it's, it's really interesting. They're going, to take, they're going to take these couples or these individuals, and they're going to go find them a house that they can afford that, that really isn't their dream home, but they're going to convert it into a dream home. And so you have to kind of see the potential if you're going to go house shopping with these people. Well, if you've watched those shows, I mean, it's kind of dramatic because they, they, they show you the house and they, they show you what they're going to do to it. But then there's always these complications. It's, it always gets messy before it gets better. And then they'll come up, I got bad news when we knock down the wall. We, we got to do this. We got to replace this. We can't do this. And so, I mean, again, they kind of string you out all along. They know where they're going. Well, see, here's what we need to realize as the people of God in a complicated and hard and difficult life is that 
the world and our lives is a remodel in progress. It's a remodel in progress. That God is in the process of remodeling and restoring the created order, and he's in the process of remodeling and sanctifying our lives. And it's messy. But it's in the mess, God is constructing a masterpiece. So this is why when life gets complicated, when you get overwhelmed, when you are confused, here's what you just need to say to yourself. God is doing something in me. God is doing something for me and for the world. God is doing something in me. God is doing something for me. And God is doing something for the world. In your mess, God is constructing a masterpiece because it was going to get messy for Mary before she saw the masterpiece. And so that's a truth that helps us simplify our complicated life. Truth number four. I like this one. God has the details covered. God has the details covered. <laughs> I just, you know, I just find this, I find this passage so amazing because I'm trying to, I'm trying to put myself in Mary's position. And so here's what she says in verse 34. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Like, so it's really interesting because if uh, you've read the story of Zechariah uh, about the, you know, the angel Gabriel coming to him in the temple saying, hey, you're going to be with child, and he doesn't believe it. It's more of this doubt of unbelief. And then what, is, what does Gabriel do? Well, he's like, you're going to be mute until, until uh, your wife delivers John the Baptist. Uh, Mary, on the other hand, it's, it's a different kind of doubt. She's just like, I, I just want to know how this is going to happen. I, I, she's like, I believe you, I believe you, but I just want a little bit more of the details. Like, can you tell me how this is going to happen since I am a virgin? Now, I, I'm kind of with Mary on this, right? I'd like to know the details how this is just going to happen because this is, this is impossible, which we'll get to that in a second. But here's what, here's, what, here's what Gabriel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. <laughs> That's the only details he gives her. That'd be a little frustrating. Thanks so much for the details. All you gave me was the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me. Okay. Uh, he's going to overshadow me, and you're going to give birth to a child, and you'll call him Holy. He's going to be the son of God. Thanks very much. Um, you don't get anything else. Uh, but throughout Scripture, God is kind of notorious for not giving details. Abram, hey, I know you're a polytheistic worshiper. I'm going to make you a monotheistic worshiper. I know you worship many gods, but you're going to worship one God now. And this God, me, I'm telling you to go to a land. What land? A land. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you a great name. How? Not, not your concern. <laughs> Just go. Uh, David, King David, uh, he wasn't a king. He didn't, come from, he didn't come from a kingly family. He was actually, he was the runt. Uh, he was the youngest. And, and so, I mean, to even bypass all of his brothers, even, that was, that's crazy in and of itself. But God promised, David, you're going to be king. How? 
you're going to be king. How? Saul's there. Jonathan, you're going to be king. How long? You're going to be king. I mean, it's like, all right, thanks for the details. The disciples in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died. He, he's uh, risen. He spent, he's spent a few weeks, uh, a little over a month with them. And uh, he, he's about to ascend back into heaven. The disciples are like, hey, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, Jesus doesn't give them any details. That's not for you to know. It's only for the Father. But you shall be my witnesses. Thanks for the details, Jesus. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Here's the thing. Um, when it comes to using ways or maps or Google Maps. I don't know which one you use. My wife prefers Waze. And I say my wife because every time she's in the co-pilot seat, she's using Waze. Now, here's the thing that I know many times about my wife is that she will put in the address and then she will look at all of the details of where Waze will be taking us. And if she doesn't like it, she'll change the route. See, here's the thing I would say. The reason why God doesn't give us the details is because if he gave us the details, we might be tempted to, one, not trust him, or two, to change the route. Because for Mary, it was going to be tough. Even Jesus praying in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, will you allow this cup to pass from me? But not my will, yours be done. Listen, when it comes to following God, even in the complexity, it can get messy. It can get hard and difficult. But he doesn't want us to get bogged down in the details. Here's a principle. God doesn't give us all of the details, but the final destination. I don't know how. Just fill in the blank. I don't know how he will. But trust the final destination. Do, do not get bogged down in the details. And then last, God makes the impossible possible. God makes the impossible possible. So just pause. You're in Mary's, you're in Mary's position You've just taken in everything that Gabriel has told you. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Can this really be happening? What did I eat for lunch again? <laughs> God, can I really do what you are asking? What you are asking for me, it's, it's a lot. God, I almost feel like it's impossible. And look at what Gabriel says in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Many translations would say, for nothing is impossible with God. I do find it very interesting that this kind of last statement by Gabriel gives two important elements to Mary. One, you're not alone. You're not alone. God's at work with your relative Elizabeth right down the street. You remember? You were reading her Facebook post and, you know, Baron, 
But now if you go back on Facebook and check, pregnant. Crazy, I know. But see, see, what I'm doing, I'm doing something in Elizabeth too. So you, you and her have some community, which is why I think she goes to Elizabeth after this, and she communes in community with Elizabeth. Why? Because they walk together in this moment, and then Abraham says, "For nothing is impossible with God." You know. What he's doing there, it's, it's kind of this interesting statement, but I believe that he is connecting what God had, had said to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis to what now Gabriel is saying to Mary. Remember, in Genesis, here's what we read. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And now... We have Gabriel, nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible to God. Now, this statement would not be fully realized until 33 years later. Because Mary will give birth to the son. And this son will, for 30 years, just kind of be this Nazarene carpenter following after his earthly father's footsteps. We don't have very many details about Jesus' upbringing, but I bet, it was, I bet it was some kind of experience with Mary <laughs> to raise the Son of God. But when he's 30, he goes into ministry, and then he starts saying things that are a little bit, little bit concerning for people. Some people think he's blasphemy. Like, Some people think, oh my gosh, you got the devil inside of you. Who do you think you are? And now... Uh, you, you would think you, you would think kind of by this time, you know, uh, the storm has passed. Maybe people aren't saying as much as they once did about Mary. But now, now her son is saying all of these things and basically claiming that he is God. Not basically, but saying that he's God. Well, you know, it's par for the course. You remember Mary? You remember all that scandal early on? <laughs> this is that son. And then he would be crucified three years after his ministry started. Mary was there at the cross. Jesus looked at Mary, looked at John and said, Behold your son, son, behold your mom. Mary would experience, would see the death of her firstborn son. Shattered, broken. And could you imagine now... Jesus did say he would rise again, but I mean, you're, you're, you're Mary now. You're, you're probably, you know, 40, mid 40s. And you're, 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 you just saw that your son died and they put him in a tomb. But over and over and over, just because how you're thinking life's messy, life's hard, life's dark, life is complicated. Life is painful. I'm in distress. But in your mind, you continue to speak these truths. Uh, highly favored. The Lord is with you. That God is doing something in you and for you and for the world. God has the details. I don't know how. God has the details of what is impossible to me. Possible to God. And three days later, you hear the rumor that your son is risen. See, it's the resurrection that is the crescendo that what is impossible to us is possible 
to God. Nothing is beyond power. So I don't know where you are today. I, re, you know, I, I, I would say I know where our world is today. We need healing. Nothing is impossible to God. Maybe you're in need of freedom from a besetting sin. Nothing is impossible to God. Maybe you need to land a job. Nothing is impossible to God. Maybe you have these huge decisions that are looming over you for 2021, and you just don't know. You're trying to to get all the details, and you, you just don't. Nothing is impossible to God. Now, how do I know that these truths simplified Mary's complicated life. Well, here, here's how I know. Here's what she says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. When life gets complicated, hard and dark, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So simple. So simple. And here's the principle that we learn. Simplification in life comes by way of surrender to the Lord. The reason why life is complicated, the reason why life is hard, is because as human beings we've made it to be that. But when it comes to the people of God, Although the world is complex and messy and dark, it actually has become simplified for us because we simply say, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. So that is how God's perfect peace. Listen to what Isaiah 26 says. You will keep in perfect peace. That's the word shalom, perfect peace total flourishing. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. The reason why we can have peace in a troubled world is because we have put our hope in the God of perfect peace. God can simplify our complicated lives. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are probably a lot of people listening here online. 2020 has been a mess. It's been complicated. It's been hard and difficult and confusing. I pray right now, Spirit, that you would simplify, you would calm their spirit, you would calm their souls, you would speak peace still, and that you would simplify their complicated life. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that the, the, the next year, 2021, is going to be any better. It doesn't mean that they're going to have all the details all the answers, all of the solutions that they want, but here's what they will have. They'll have you. And they'll have you in them, you who love them. Thank you, Jesus, for coming over 2,000 years ago to be our perfect peace. 
and how you are in the process of making all things new. We long for that day. In the meantime, we are your servant. May it be to us according to your word.